That Sober Guy podcast contains adult content, merciless truth, and emotional nudity. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Shane Raymer. You're listening to That Sober Guy podcast, and we help people stay sober. If it's your first time listening, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Our guest today is Tim Lodgen. And uh, Tim is a former U.S. Marine. He's an MMA fighter and junior Olympic boxer. Uh, He also survived a 27-year-long battle with bipolar disorder, alcohol, drug addiction, uh, multiple suicide attempts. Uh, Tim shares his story of strength, courage, and hope all over the country to those still suffering in hopes that they know one of the most important things that I love to tell everybody, and it sounds like Tim does too, that you are not alone. So we're going to get to Tim in just a minute. Super pumped to have this convo with him. We've been trying to do this for a while now, and so uh, very happy to be here today and to share this conversation with you. Before we do that, do you want to quit drinking for 30 days or more? Well, that sober guy can help. Uh, You can try the Quit Drinking Do 30-Day Alcohol-Free Challenge. That sober guy 30-Day Challenge features 30 podcasts in 30 days to help keep you accountable, along with discussions, worksheets, exercises, to help men better understand why they use alcohol. Uh, We explore new ideas, we share relatable experiences, and you become a part of the Sober Guy crew of like-minded men looking to find freedom from alcohol and a better life, be better fathers, better husbands, better friends, better entrepreneurs, just better overall dudes. Uh, And if you sign up now by going to thatsoberguy.com, you get $10 off the Quit Drinking Dude 30-Day Challenge. One more time, that's thatsoberguy.com. you find all the info on there, as well as more podcasts, meetings, You'll find other resources there as well. And then uh, please go to Instagram. If you're on Instagram, you can follow us at that sober guy podcast. All the links from everything we talk about today will be in the show notes. And uh, without further ado, get to my friend, Tim. Uh, it's great to have you from California to Maryland, Maryland, back to California, Tim. Great to have you on the podcast today, man. Thank you. Thanks, Shane, for having me, man. I really appreciate it, man. Thank you for having the podcast and giving me a platform to be able to share and reach more people. It's truly amazing what you do. Absolutely. Thank you so much, man. That was the initial reason back in 2014 when I launched it was to share some of my story. Hopefully I could stay sober through that time, which has been extremely helpful. Uh, and then man, just giving another platform, um, for folks like yourself to have these conversations and man, we just, we get to share them with all kinds of people all over the world, which is pretty dang amazing. So, um, yeah, dude, gl- glad to have you here today. You, you mentioned as we were kind of chatting before we hit record, you were just out in, um, in half moon Bay out here in Northern California, speaking to first responders. And I just wanted to point that out and maybe ask you a little bit about that. We have a lot of first responders, veterans, active military that listen to this show. So, um, do you have a, a I know you're a former Marine yourself, obviously. So thank you for your service. Um, tell us a little bit about that, man. What was that experience like speaking and, and, uh, what does that mean to you? Well, first of all, the, ex- the experience was absolutely amazing. Um, I, I work with a nonprofit organization called the Overwatch Collective. It is founded by two Marines. Um, one, they're both active in the Coast Guard right now. They switched from Marines into Coast Guard. One is in active uh, California. I think it's, is it Dade County? Uh, Dade or, County. Or um, Dale, Dale County? Maybe Dale County? I'm not, Dale yeah. County. He's a, he's a police yeah. officer in Dale County. He, he, he resides in Half Moon Bay, California. Got it. And we got, we got connected uh, about six months ago. I did their podcast. And um, when, we, when we were at the end of the podcast, he said, yeah, we're doing our second annual fundraiser. 
Um, you know, we have guest speakers come in to talk to the veterans and first responders about mental health, suicide prevention, and addiction. And I just jokingly was like, man, that'd be really cool. I've never been to California. And we hung up and within five minutes, I have an email. Here's your plane ticket and here's your uh, hotel room. That's awesome. <laughs> we, want, we want you to come and speak. So I was like, hell yeah, man, I'm there. So I, I went out there. Um, I'm coming up on 21 months. So this was two months ago. I had uh, 19 months and one week sober. And to stand up on that stage, uh, there was 240 people there. Nice. And uh, to be able to stand up there clean and sober hmm. and share my story with them um, of overcoming my demons. And and I would say not giving up because I didn't, but I did give up twice in my life. Hmm. And thank God stepped in and had other plans for me. But um, the, the true factor is, you know, to not give up. And I know that's uh, kind of a cliche where people say, don't give up, don't give up. And it's really hard because uh, to be honest with you, I got to that point where I just wanted that pain to stop. And I didn't know how to make the pain stop. I didn't know how to stop drinking. I didn't know how to stop taking drugs. And my only solution at the time was just make the pain stop. Mm. And my solution was, you know, one day I reached over and I grabbed 18, opened my pill bottle. I had 18 Oxycontin, 20 milligrams. I took all 20 of them. I mean, all 18 of them. And I went out into the living room and, and I guzzled a 12-pack of beer within 45 minutes. And I went and I laid back down into the bed and I said, please, God, don't let me wake up because I just want the pain to stop. Mm. And the next day, about 16 hours later, I woke up. And the first thought in my mind was, holy shit, I didn't die. <laughs> the second thought in my mind was, why am I here? Yeah. I get up and I go into the bathroom and I have my refill of 30. I, I don't even know why or how, but I opened it up and I dumped the entire thing down the, down the toilet and I flushed the toilet and I looked myself in the mirror and I remember saying, this is going to get bad, but just remember how this is going to feel. We never want to feel this way again. Mm. And the next 10 days of my life was, was pure living hell going, coming off of 20 milligram oxys after four years. Yeah. It just completely stopping. Um, that 10 days was pure hell. They, everything, the, the throwing up, the insomnia, the uh, panic attacks, anxiety, the shivers, the shakes, the fever, the coughing, the going to the bathroom, you know, the sweating, mm. the whole the whole gambit of coming off of opioids. But I survived it, you know. And the funny thing about addiction is, you know, when I was able to stop the pain pills, but I was still smoking pot and I was still drinking my 12 to 18 beers a day. Mm. That next day I, I had to get out of the house. I was like, man, I got to go for a drive. I got to clear my head. I, I just got to be by myself and get in my truck. So I got in my truck and I start and, and I go drive through this beautiful reservoir we have down here in, in Maryland and people go hiking and biking and they picnic and walk their dogs and you can fish off the shore. It's a really pretty place called Lock Raven Reservoir. And I'm driving through the reservoir and, and I'm crying and I'm like, I'm yelling up at the sky. Why am I here? Why can't I stop alcohol? What's my purpose? You know, is there anything else out there besides me? Because frankly, at that point, I had no faith in a higher power whatsoever. My thought at that time was if something created me and loved me so much, why are they putting me through so much pain? So it was really hard for me to grasp that 
there was something else out there that loved me but wanted to see me suffer. That's That was my mindset at that time. And I'm driving through the park, and I get to this tree where my senior year of high school, well, the year after senior year, my best friend unfortunately lost control of his vehicle and hit the tree, and he lost his life at the age of 18. And at this tree, this was uh, December 27th, 1996, he passed away. This is March 16th, 2017. So this is 21 years later. I'm driving through this park and I get to his tree and uh, I park my truck and I go up to the tree and, and I'm crying. I'm like, Bill, I need help, man. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why I survived. I can't stop drinking. I'm lost. I don't know my purpose. I just need to know that there's something else out there besides me because I truly don't believe in a higher power right now. I have zero faith. I just need a sign. Can you please just send me a sign that there's something else out there? And I get in my truck and, I, and I'm leaving the park, but I, I'm, I'm crying. And, and like, I got snot coming out my nose. So I pull over to the side of the road. I mean, I'm like ugly crying and uh, I pull over to the side of the road. But all the cars were parked on the right-hand side, so I couldn't park on the on the side I'm supposed to be driving. So I pull over on the wrong side of the road and park. And I'm wiping my tears and, and cleaning my face up. And about 10 minutes goes by, and this car pulls up. And he parks in front of me because I'm technically on the wrong side of the road. So now we're, mm -hmm. we're hood to hood, windshield to windshield. And I'm watching this gentleman get out of his truck. And I see him open up the back door and he grabs his dog. He's about to walk across the street and I walk across. Yeah, I walk across the street and go walk the dog by the water. And I'm looking at this man. I'm like, man, this, this guy looks familiar. Like, I know him from somewhere. All of a sudden, it just hits me, man. It was my best friend who had died in 1996. It was his father. Oh, wow. I hadn't seen this man yeah. since the day of my friend's funeral 21 years earlier. And I get out. And I'm like, Mr. Bill, is that you? And he says, Timmy, what's wrong? What are you doing here? And I fall to the curb and I'm crying. I'm like, I'm an addict. You know, I survived suicide. I don't know why I'm here. I, I lost my purpose. I just can't stop drinking. And he walks over to me and he puts his hand on my shoulder. And he's like, Timmy, I'm not supposed to be here this morning. My wife came to me in a dream last night and told me to come walk the dog here at 10 a.m. this morning. I was supposed to leave at 6 a.m. and go down to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for a family reunion. My bags are packed in my truck, mm. but I waited till 10 a.m. to come here. I truly believe I was sent here to see you. Mm. And I said, Mr. Bill, I just stopped at Billy's tree and asked him for a sign. And this is where mm. our addiction manipulates and tricks us. Because after we had that conversation, I was on cloud nine for about 10 minutes. Yeah. I was like, man, something's watching over me. Nothing's going to happen to me. Everything's going to be all right. And my addiction said, you're right. Everything is going to be okay. You're being protected. Nothing is going to happen to you. So you don't have to stop drinking. You can continue to live your life the way you are because you have somebody watching over you. And for the next four years of my life, that's when I drank the most alcohol that I've ever drank in my life. Wow. That's that not believing in faith. And then something stepping in, which I truly believe was my, my was my best friend sending me a sign. I completely ignored. Mm. I my my addictive personality and, and and the mental illness of addiction tricked that that thought into I can just keep going because I'm going to be okay. Yeah, and that was the worst four years uh, out of all twenty seven of my my long 
career of drinking and drugging, the last four was the worst that I've ever gone through in my entire life. Wow. I now know that, you know, that, that, didn't, that didn't happen to me. It happened for me. It happened for me to realize how precious this gift of life is. It happened for me so that I can now share my story with those who are still suffering so that they know that they're not alone, that what they're going through is not a burden to anybody else. It's not anything to be ashamed of. It's not anything to be embarrassed of. You can reach out to other people. There is help out there available, especially now with the internet and, and, and social media. There are so many resources for people out there who believe that they are alone and nobody in the world could possibly understand what they are going through when that is so far from the truth. Yeah. There are more people that understand what you're going through than you could possibly imagine. I mean, every single one of us are going through something. Each and every one of us is going through something in life. Some a lot more major than others, but we're all dealing with something. You know, some of us hide it better than others. Some of us don't talk about it at all. Some of us use addiction to deal with the pain. And unfortunately, we do, we do lose some to suicide. And it, it, it is a stigma and it is a pandemic that people completely overlook and they shun their head to. We, we are sons. We are fathers. We are brothers. We are sisters. We are mothers. We are loved. And the more that, that we can reach out and let people know that they're, they are needed here on this earth, the less people we can lose to this disease. Yeah, amen to that, dude. Man, that's a that's that's a incredible story. Uh, and I just want to kind of back up and start with the fact, like how I don't even know if how is the right question because it doesn't make any sense that that you could take eighteen pills and not die. <laughs> like, I mean, let's just start there and and add the alcohol to mix to that, and then still wake up. That's, that's in, that's a miracle in itself. Obviously God had a plan for you. That's why you're here today. Um, But to move on from there and find yourself um, in, in what you described, you know, running into your friend's father, he wasn't supposed to be there. You don't even know how you got there, ended up there. Um, How did that, like, how was that four years in, in, in between when you saw your, your best friend's father and then you continued to drink. Did you always have that thought in the back of your mind and know that God had a different path for you, but you just were maybe somewhat lost still and a bit unsure on how to get on that? Like, what did, what did that look like? I didn't think he had a different path for me. I think he was just protecting me. I, I was ignorant to the fact that that was a complete sign yeah. that I should be changing my life. I looked at that more as I can continue to live my life the way I am because no medical thing is going to happen to me. My health is going to be fine. You know, I'm not going to get locked up. I'm not going to wreck my truck. You know, like I was okay. So I can just continue to do that. And, you know, us addicts, if if we're given a chance to continue to use without any repercussions, I was all for that shit. (laughs) I I was going to continue to do it. And, uh, you know, I ain't changing my life. You know what I mean? If I don't have to, why should I? But again, it, it happened for me because the last, the next four years of my life, you know, that 12 beers went to 18 beers and then the regular beers wasn't doing it enough. I switched over to the IPAs and the loggers and 
the fancy beers with 12 to 15% per beer in it. And I was still drinking 12 of those a day. And then um, I, I got this awesome idea in my head that, you know, well, I, I'm missing something because I was used to smoking pot, taking my pills and drinking my beer, but I'm missing something. I'm just not feeling the same as where I was taking my pills. So let me grab a couple of these little miniature fireball miniatures off the counter and 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 throw some of them in the mix. And I remember the first time I, I, I drank one, within like five seconds, I got that warm blanket feeling that the pain pills used to give me once they kicked in, like that ah, moment where everything got warm and hot down to my toes. And it was kind of like I'm being covered in a warm blanket. That's the, that's the best, best description I can get. And I remember, remember consciously thinking, that's what I've been missing. Mm. So from then on, I would stop at the liquor store and get five of those every single day on top of my 12 beers. And I would down three of those before I even poured out of the liquor store parking lot. Yeah. That was kind of like my kickoff. And that <laughs> got me right where I needed to be because yeah. it was almost instant. You, you take a couple shots of whiskey, that yeah. shit doesn't take an hour like beer you know you got to drink get six warmed beers. up quick yeah yeah you get warmed up quick and um finally i found myself that, that i'm man i gotta drink a lot of this beer to, to feel the same way when i can only i only have to drink six or seven of these whiskeys so i said screw the beer and then i started stopping at the liquor store in the morning at 7 a.m and grabbing a, a sleeve of fireball which is 10 of them still in a pack I would finish all 10 of them by one o'clock in the afternoon, finish my job at work. As soon as I got off at three 30, I'd stop and pick up another 10. Mm. I'd have five of those finished before I even got home, Damn. eat dinner, sit around the house by eight. I was done those five and I'd be back at the liquor store getting another sleeve of 10. Mm. But last year of my, of my addiction with alcohol, I was drinking 25 to 30 fireball miniatures every single day. And for shits and giggles, one day I was like, I wonder how much alcohol is in one of these miniatures. So I dumped it in a shot glass. One of those fireball miniatures is two and a half shots per mm. miniature. Mm. And I was drinking 25 to 30. So I calculated I was doing about 65 to 80 shots of fireball whiskey every single day. Damn. Um, what, what, what got me to the point of, of needing help and, and wanting, not even needing help, from wanting help. Because I've needed help for a very long time. I just wasn't aware that I needed yeah. it. You know, I thought nobody knew. Like, <laughs> yeah, classic. Like most of us do. Yeah. Nobody, they don't, they don't know what the hell I'm doing. Yeah. We're the last ones to always find out. But, um, you know, I, I get a brand new truck. I've had it two months and I, I'm leaving the liquor store after picking up my sleeve and I hit something. And to this day, I still have no recollection of what it was. I don't know if it was a parked car. Uh, one of those concrete barriers on the side of the road, a curb. I have no idea what I still hit. And I remember coming home and walking in the door and my wife was on the couch watching TV. And I was like, I hit something. I'm not dealing with the shit tonight. I'm going to bed. Yeah. And I, and I go to bed and I wake up the next morning, like a, a typical blackout drunk. Hey, good morning, everybody. How's everybody morning? Um, I'm going to go get some milk and bread. And do we need anything else for, uh, for breakfast? Yeah. My wife's looking at me and she's like, how are you going to do that? I was like in my brand new truck in the driveway. She's like, Tim, go look at your truck. And I go outside and my passenger side mirror is off the truck. It's missing. <laughs> and the front right tire is hanging off the rim and it's stuck up underneath the, the bumper. I literally don't know how I drove it home. The only thing I can think of is the liquor store is 
like across the street from my house. I can actually walk to it. Oh, wow. So I'm thinking I got in, I hit whatever I hit, and I was like, oh, shit, I ain't getting locked up. I'm driving it to my driveway because I don't know how I drove it, drove it yeah. home. And I'm sitting there looking at the truck, and she pops her head out the door, and she, she looks at me, and she goes, you don't remember what you hit, do you? I said, no, I, I have no, no memory. She said, Tim, you could have killed yourself. You could have killed a family. I, I can't do this anymore. You, you have to leave. I don't want you around the children. I don't know what you're going to have to do, but you have to go figure this out. You have to leave. I don't want you here anymore. Mm. So that was the start of, of me realizing that I needed help because I've never been kicked out of my home. Yeah. You know, and to, that was a big deal for me. My wife had put up with a lot of stuff, but for her to finally say, That's it's enough. time for you to go, yeah. I was like, wow. So I called my buddy and um, I said, hey, man, my wife kicked me out. My thought was, you know, hey, can I come spend the night for a couple of days? Let her cool down, you know, yeah. in three or four days, she'll let me back in the house. So everything will be smoothed over and I can continue my life. Yeah. So I get to my buddies and he says, well, it's Friday night, man. Um, got kicked out of your house. We might as well go to the bar. Mm. I'm like, you know what? That's an excellent idea because now I really have a justified reason. Yeah. To go drink. I just got kicked out of my house. Why is it that we always look for the excuse? If there's any right? excuse, it's so easy to run and find that, well, I'm at the bar because of this happened or she did this or they did this. So you get so you get kicked out. You call your buddy up. It's Friday night. Let's screw it. Let's go to the bar. What in... Like you mean, think so it's going to blow over, but yeah, so we get to the bar and we get shit faced, you know, and um, we're leaving the bar. And this is like 12 hours later. I mean, I, I called AAA. They came over, put my spare tire on my truck. I said, I don't care about the mirror. I can drive without the mirror for a while. So I was, I was good to go. We're leaving the bar and I rear end somebody at the red light. Oh, and I get out and I'm looking at the guy. Thank God he had a tow hitch on the back of his truck because his truck wasn't scratched. Mm. But now the front of my my bumpers all veed in, and um and luckily I had the damn airbags off because they would have went off and I would have been screwed. But um yeah. they they didn't go off, and I was like, hey, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, I'm okay. I said, well, your truck's okay. You're okay. And I slapped him on his back. I was like, I'm out of here, dude. And I jumped in my truck and I took off. I knew if the cops were coming, I was getting locked up. I was I was completely drunk. Yeah. I get back to my buddy's house. I'm like, I can't stay here, man. I, I, I got to go figure some shit out. I got to be by myself. He's like, okay, we can come back whenever, blah, blah, blah. So I grab, my, I grab my stuff and I leave his house. Stop at the liquor store. Get 10 more, 10 more of my miniatures. And I go and I park at a park and ride. I don't know if you guys have them out there, but people park mm -hmm. there for the day. Yeah. They grab a train and, and go to work, whatever, and pick the car up at the end of the day. So I go and I park at this park and ride and... I didn't want to hear from nobody. I didn't want nobody to call me. I didn't want to talk to nobody. So I turned my phone off. Mm. I just had my truck running and I sat there for 48 hours with no contact to anybody. Nobody could call me. I couldn't call anybody. And I sat there and listened to sad ass music on the radio and did a whole pity party me for 48 hours thinking about everybody that I let down, all the things I've screwed up in life, how my marriage is shit now, how me and my kids don't have a relationship because of alcohol and drugs. And just, I went through the whole gambit of, of all the disappointing things I've done to people that I love the most in my entire life. And I drank and passed out and drank and passed out and drank and passed out. And after two days of it being off Friday morning, I mean, uh, Sunday morning, uh, March 5th, 2021, I turned my phone on at uh, seven after 10 in the morning. 
Two minutes goes by and my phone rings after two days of it being completely off. And I look down at the phone and it says Westchester, Pennsylvania. I'm like, who the hell is calling me from Westchester, Pennsylvania? I whatever. So I pick it up. It's my childhood friend, Brandon Novak. I don't know if you know who Brandon is, but I, I grew up with him. We went to school together since elementary school. So I, he's like my friend. And uh, uh, he, excuse me for a second. But he's like, Lodge, what the fuck are you doing? And I'm like, I'm cold. I'm drunk. I'm hungry and I'm tired. He says, good, motherfucker. That's what you need. <laughs> I just got off the phone with your wife and your mom. I got a plane ticket set for you tonight at 8.30 p.m., and I got you into Banyan Treatment Centers down West Palm Beach, Florida. He said, get on that plane, and I promise you you'll get back everything that you've lost. And I was kind of like on the other line, like, okay, okay. I, I basically was agreeing with him so I could just hang up the damn phone, to be honest with you. So I, I was like, okay, okay, I'll get on, I'll get on, I'll get on. Hang up the phone. Five minutes goes by, maybe my wife calls me. Hey, where have you been? Everybody's been trying to get a hold of you, but we're sick. I'm like, I'm at the parking ride, like three miles from the house. She's like, I just talked to Brandon. Will you please come home and pack your bags and take a shower and try to eat something and take a nap? I had like four or five hours for the plane left. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come home. So I go home, I pack my bags, take a shower. I couldn't eat and I couldn't take a nap. I'm in full on anxiety and panic mode. Yeah. My mind's racing. I'm like, holy shit, I got to go to Florida for rehab. How long am I going for? 30, 60, 90 days, six-month program? You know, I, how did my life get so bad? Do I have to go to rehab now? And I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, and I'm freaking myself out. And my mental illness and uh, my addiction steps in and, and, and tells me I can't go. We can't do this. Mm. But what you can do is, is grab my hand and walk with me. And uh, my addiction grabs my hand and walks me to the basement of my home. And I throw a rope around my neck and I stand up on a bucket. And it just keeps telling me to end the pain, end the pain, end the pain. So I go downstairs and listen and I throw a rope around my neck and I stand up on a bucket. And about a minute goes by and my wife realizes I'm not in the bedroom. Uh. she comes looking for me she comes down to the basement of my home and I'm standing in the corner of my basement with the rope wrapped around the rafters of my basement hysterically crying and she says what are you doing and I said I can't I can't go I can't do it I just want the pain to stop and I don't know how and she looks at me and she says Tim do you know what this will do to your little girls please Please get down and get on that plane. Get down and everything is going to be okay. And I stood there for about 30 seconds. I took the rope off my neck and fell to the floor. And I cried for about five minutes. And I go upstairs and I pick up the phone. And I was like, hey, Brandon. I'm like, uh, I'm going, man. I got to go. If I don't go today, this addiction is going to kill me. I got to go. And all he says is, I'm proud of you. I love you. Call me when you pass security. I want to make sure you're getting on that plane and you're not going to leave the airport in a cab after you get dropped off. Yeah. I'm like, oh, okay, man, okay. So a couple hours go by, my mom picks me up, takes me to the airport, I get past security, and uh, I call him. I say, hey, man, I got 35 minutes till the plane leaves. I'm going to sit down until they call me to board the plane. And he simply just says, I'm proud of you. I love you. You're about to get back everything that you've ever lost times 10. And he simply just hangs up the phone. 
what happened next was the most amazing thing that ever happened to me in my life. I go to sit down at this chair at this airport. And as I sit down in this seat, waiting for them to call me to board the plane, I get this overwhelming feeling of hope that comes over my entire body. Mm. It was the same warm blanket feeling that drugs and alcohol had given me. My entire body was tingling. It was the warmest feeling that I've ever felt in my life. At the exact moment, my fear, my anxiety, my panic, my worry, my doubt, all just leaves my body. Mm. And I hear this very calming woman's voice in my head. And she simply just says, everything is going to be okay. I have never heard that before or since, mm. but I truly believe sitting in that airport at that moment, I had a spiritual experience sitting in that airport. After that moment, my mind shifted, my thoughts shifted. And I was like, I'm doing this. Let's go. Like, get me on this plane and let's start this journey. And I got to rehab and I went, I jumped in both feet, man. I, I didn't miss any meetings. Yeah. I went to extra meetings for first responders and military members. I shared, I volunteered. I, I started working out with a personal trainer Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I changed my diet and I, and, and I found faith. Um, cause I truly believe in, in this, in this journey of recovery, we have to have a balance between mentally, spiritually, and physically. Yeah. I believe they all go hand in hand. Um, and, and I believe that you have to work, you know, together with, with all of them, one without the other for me just didn't work. It might work for somebody else, but for me, I needed all three to have that balance. And, um, you know, that rehab, it changed my life. Um, there was a lot of people complaining about the place. Now we don't, we got to get up at seven and we had nine meetings a day. Meetings started at nine o'clock. We only got off from 12 to one 30 for lunch and four to five 30 for dinner. And then we had meetings six to seven, seven to eight. Mm. You know I mean? We had meetings continuously and, uh, people would, man, this place sucks. You know, the food sucks. This sucks. That sucks. And I would just be like, you know, it's not the school that you go to. It's not the person in this. It's not the school. It's the person in the school. What are you getting out of this place? You know, are, are you taking full advantage of it? Or are you just complaining about the food? You're just complaining about what time you got to get up. And heaven forbid, you got to work on yourself. I mean, isn't that what we're here for? Yeah. A lot of people were there trying to make friends and being popular. I could have gave two shits about any of that. I was there for me. And I think that's what made a huge difference. Yeah. I was there to work on myself. Um, when you wanted and, and to be I, there. You wanted to be there. I'm assuming, you know, that I know when I was in for 30 days in treatment, there wasn't, there was a, quite a few people who didn't want to be there. They were ordered to be there or they, yeah. they didn't, they didn't take the time to soak up the opportunity, um, you know, to, uh, to get what was being given to them, you know, recovery, freedom. I mean, all that stuff go down the list of things and you have to want it it doesn't just come to you. And, and that's, I think that's why it's, it's really frustrating for a lot of people when they have a family member, they have a friend who's out there and who's struggling so hard and they want to do everything they can to help them. They may have all the resources, they may have everything, but you can't help someone who's not available, who doesn't want to be helped. That's yeah. not saying we don't try, but at right. the same time, it can be very frustrating too. Um, so what does, um, you know, wh what does it look like today for you, man? I know one of, one of the quotes real quick too, before you answer that, 
um, that I wrote down. I think this was, um, I think this came from your Instagram and I really, I really love this man. And just let me say too, thanks so much for sharing everything you've shared so far, bro. There's so much there. It's so deep. It's so, it's, it's incredible to be honest with you, man. It's, um, oh, it's pretty, you, pretty, Appreciate pretty that. insane in that you're doing the work you're doing now to share and give back. But you said, I post nothing but how good life has been to me after being sober. And now I've changed my life through, through bodybuilding and fitness. And, um, so I'd like to have you touch a little bit on that. If you would like what that's like today. Um, and then how fitness, how staying healthy mentally, physically, how has that been a part of you been a being able to go down, you know, this new path? Oh, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's an anchor to my sobriety. Um, you know, when I got to rehab, I was 225 pounds, mm. um, had high blood pressure, and after they took all my my physical, my my vitals and everything, my liver and kidneys were on the verge of failure. There were four times enzymes what they should have been. And the doctor literally looks at me and goes, how old are you? I say, I'm 44. He said, if you would have waited another month to come into rehab, he said, the damage to your liver and kidneys would have been irreversible. He said, even if you would have got sober, you still would have ended up dying by the age of 47 from cirrhosis or some other ailment of uh, alcoholism. Wow. He said, you literally came at the right time to be able to repair everything and get back healthy. Again, I stopped believing in coincidences a long time ago because all this stuff doesn't add up to me. And it only points to one direction that yeah. I have a purpose and this is what I'm here for. So when I got, like I said, when I got to rehab and they offered Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, a personal trainer that would come in and help you with your diet and get you back physical in shape. And I was always pretty much in shape um, my entire life, except for like the last two to three years of my alcoholism. I would go to the gym in spurts. Um, when I when I was in the Marine Corps, I was in hell of a shape. Um, I was almost a professional skateboarder in middle school, so I, I was in great shape then. I'm junior Olympic and Golden Glove boxer all through high school, so I was in great shape then. Um and then in my 30s, when I started doing mixed martial arts from the age of 32 to 35, which got me addicted to opioids because I tore my shoulders and had to have surgeries. And But um, I was pretty much always in shape. Um, but when I got there and I was I was looking at myself, I'm 225 pounds, got a double chin, got a belly. You know, my face is red. My ears are red all from the alcohol. My, my skin looks like crap. I I was. I was ready to make a change. And if, if I was going to do it, I was going to do a hundred percent. I wasn't just going to work on my mental spot. I was going to my physical and my spiritual. So started working out with this personal trainer and uh, he would give you a little bit of a diet plan while we were there. I did 32 days. So he was like, um, here's how you can start to change your diet while you're here. And you'll build a routine. He would say, uh, takes 21 days to build a habit, 90 days to build a lifestyle. He said, within that 21 days, you can build a habit of eating healthy. And when you go home, you just continue eating healthy and you'll see the benefits over time. It's not something that happens overnight, but it's a, it's a, it, 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 it uh, accumulates over time yeah. and you'll be able to see that benefit. So, so uh, I left, I left rehab and, and I went back to the gym. I joined the YMCA, the local, local down the street. And I, I don't see I your said, video I, though. Oh, hold on a second. There we go. Uh, there we just go. in case for clips. Yeah, yeah, no, I must not hit the. There we go. There we go. Perfect, dude. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. go ahead. Um, so I joined a local Y down the street. It's like five minutes from my house. I was like, I'm, I'm going to continue to go to, to go work out. And for me, going to the gym is more mental than it is physical. Yeah. The physical aspect of it is a byproduct of going. 
but it really truly helps my mental state stay stay focused and calm and regardless of the day that you have you can always go to the gym and let some frustrations out yeah. and what better way to also get in great shape when you're there for a different reason um so i started to go to go to the gym and i started to see a dramatic difference in my in my physical appearance mm. in like 90 days yeah. um and, and what drove me to taking it even further i don't know if it's more of my addictive personality that i get going on to something and i got to do it 100 miles an hour or nothing at all or um you know i grew up my, my mom was a professional bodybuilder in the 80s when i grew up and my uncle was mr universe and my cousin was mr maryland so i grew up around a bunch of bodybuilders and i've always saw these guys in like amazing shape that yeah made an impact on me as a little kid and i always wanted to do it i always thought about doing it and thought it'd be cool but i was never mentally there um and just over time over time and um march came of this past following year and i filled out an application for muscle and fitness magazine to enter a competition and first place got twenty five thousand dollars cover of muscle and fitness magazine a two-page spread inside and a and a whole shit ton of contracts with sponsors and i was like you know what i'm just gonna do it and yeah. i sent it in two months later i hear back from them we're selecting you for the competition so the competition lasted from march till the end of june and it went through tears and um there was ten thousand people that that started in this competition from all over the world and i ended up in third place damn that's great. <laughs> um, and I was sad. And it was funny. And I'm bummed out for a day. And I'm like, man, I can't believe I got third place. Because I really wanted first. I really, yeah. to me, I was like, man, that would change my life. Not knowing that I've already changed my life. Right? Just the fact that you've submitted your, you know what yeah, I mean? Like, yeah. 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 And uh, my mom calls me. She says, hey, how you doing? I said, I'm kind of bummed. I'm kind of sad. I'm thinking about this competition for two days now. And she's like, Tim are you kidding me? I said, what? She's like, from where you were to where you are now, she's like, son, you won. In my eyes, you're a winner. And I'm so proud of you. Do you know how many people would have died to even be in that competition, much less come into third place? You should be extremely proud of yourself. Just keep going, son. Don't give up. Just keep going. And uh, hung up the phone and that, put me back in, into different perspective and I've just continued to go and yeah. um, I'm doing an actual on stage competition this spring. So I'm just going to continue to eat healthy, go to the gym every day. Good. And um, yeah. I, and, and I find the really eating, I, I find the, I was just talking about this with a, a buddy of mine. I find going to the gym is is pretty easy for the most part. I mean, I have my days like anybody, like where you're just kind of feeling lazy or maybe you're sore or something, you're dealing with a little ailment or whatever. But that's not as difficult as actually eating great yes. <laughs> or eating good. Like it's so, especially, you know, like I have younger kids and so we're on the go a lot. And it's just, that's the difficult part for me at least. And for, I think for a lot of dudes out there is the, is staying true um, to, and, and not, not just eating great or eating good, but not overeating as well. So we can eat some of the things we just can't overeat those things and you can't eat cheeseburgers and pizza every day, you know, what's no, your, what's no, your yeah, thoughts yeah, on um, that? It, so 
you know how we were in active addiction. When we want something, we make that happen at all costs, no matter what, no matter if it hurts anybody around us or whatever. And we gonna, make that shit I'm happen. I'm going to do all of it or I'm going to eat all of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I made my mind up at that mind switch that, that I made. I was like, I'm doing this and I'm going to do it hundred percent. And it was kind of hard in the beginning to stick with tuna and chicken and eggs and broccoli and rice and, and protein bars and protein shakes, but I wanted it. Yeah. And, and I want this more than, than anything else in my life. As far as I, I want to be the best version of myself that I've ever been in my life. Yeah. And that's part of it. So there are many of nights where my wife makes dinner and I eat chicken. Um, there's many of uh, times we're out on the road and I got to pack chicken and take it with me or tuna fish. Um, <laughs> yeah. We sacrificed a lot for our addiction. I, so if I have to sacrifice a meal or two here to stay on track, then that's what I got to do. And yeah. um, Friday nights are, I have, you see people tell you to have a cheat day. That screws you all up. Yeah, totally. Have a cheat, one cheat meal. Because that actually kickstarts your metabolism back because your body's like, what the hell did you just put in my body? We got to hurry up and burn it off and get it out of here because yeah. it's not supposed to be here. So it actually jumpstarts your thermogenics and your burn and your fat burning. So Friday nights, I will have every once in a while, I have a pizza or a chicken wings, which is still basically freaking chicken. <laughs> but at least it's got hot sauce and I can dip it in my blue cheese or ranch, whatever it is. It tastes a little me. different. Yeah. Yeah. And when I eat a pizza, I, I, I get a freaking large and ate the whole damn thing by myself. <laughs> hey, you got to go for it, man. Especially with the pizza. Hey, you know, there's one, there's one, there's one thing that I'm I'm noticing throughout your uh, your story here too, and you know, maybe that maybe this will speak to somebody out there listening. Um, and it's the fact that you've had very key moments in your journey where people encouraged you, and they they not only encouraged you but they believed in you. You had your your buddy's <laughs> father. You have Brandon, and then you have your mom. And I'm sure there's probably more along the way too. Yeah. Those three seem very key at key moments. And so I know, you know, sometimes when we're in the mix of things, when we're going through shit and we don't, we, we can't really see, I just, I feel like someone needs to hear this right now. Like there's somebody out there that believes in you. There's somebody out there that's encouraging you or, or wants to encourage you, whether you want to receive it or not. And all it takes is to open up to that and hear it and, and receive it. And your life can change because I feel like in your, in, in your story, Tim, like without those three moments, you, you might not be here today. Understanding that those people believed in you. hundred percent. It's like, um, it's like having a dirty window, you know, there's something on the other side of it, but until you clean it and, and, and you can look out and see the view, yeah. um, you don't really know what, what else is out there. Uh, and I, I compare it to when you get a new vehicle, let's say you pick up a Jeep and then you go and drive around town, you see 10 Jeeps. You're like, when the hell did everybody get Jeeps? <laughs> I know. That you, is be funny. you become more aware of the little things around you because you're, you're more, you're more conscious of what's going on yeah. and you're able to pick up on those little signs. Yeah. Um, you know, six months into my sobriety, I did ask my wife, I said, why did you let me back in? Why didn't you leave me? And she said, because I believed in you when you didn't believe in yourself. Mm. And I always knew you could be the man that I once married. Wow. I, I, I just, beautiful. yeah, um, that woman, I put her through hell. And she's always believed in me no matter what. And talk about unconditional love. Um, I'm a truly lucky man to have her by my side. I mean, we've been together since I got out of the Marine Corps in 1995. Wow. 
That's amazing, bro. I mean, especially with the divorce rate today and just broken families and, and just things that we go through to have, um, your lady stand by you like that is absolutely amazing, bro. Like what a blessing. It's, and I know a lot of people don't have a, a family unit or structure yeah. that, that stays behind them. And, uh, it's probably a lot, lot harder. Um, not that it's not hard to get sober, but yeah, totally. that's probably even, that's probably even a little bit more for them to be alone and have to go through this journey. So I am truly grateful for the people in my life and how they stepped up for me and stepped in when I needed, I needed them the most. Cause I, I did give up on myself and I didn't believe I could do it. I I thought I was destined to die from this disease of mental health and addiction. I really did. Um, I w- so we, we just got a few minutes left, but I wanted to um, throw this out there with the holidays coming up. I know there's I know there's people listening right now, um, you know, with this time of the year coming up, it can be a really tough time for for people out there getting being around family or you don't have family or certain environments that you once were in, whatever that looks like stress. I mean, go down the list of things um, and a lot of things to be grateful for, too. I just don't want to point out that there's all bad things. I mean, this is one of my favorite times of the year, Christmas and whatever, but it's also hard for a lot of people to stay sober around this time. And so I'm just wondering if maybe there's any um, experience or thoughts or advice you might be able to share. Share, uh, to somebody who might be listening right now, who's maybe struggling through the holidays. I, I remember the holidays now. Mm. Yeah, I remember opening certain gifts. I remember the jokes being told over family and and, and uh, remembering the past and things we've done together. Where before, I would have to I would have to have six beers in me and a couple shots in me before I even walked in the door to talk to the family because I thought that's what. I needed to do to have a good time and to experience a good holiday with my family. Yeah. Uh, boy, was I wrong because I get so much more of having an actual conversation with my cousins or aunts and uncles. And then I, I can, can actually contribute to the conversation with actual intellectual, you know, things to say. I'm not just blubbering idiot and, and yeah. re- doing the repeater or, you know, not even making incoherent statements that nobody understands and they're rolling their eyes when I turn my head Holidays, the first the first year of holidays, um, the hardest one for me in the beginning, I was just getting home, was 4th of July. And I say it was the hardest because it was the first time I got together with three of my Marine brothers from boot camp that I hadn't seen in 20 years, 20 plus years. And my buddy was having a 4th of July party. And I walk into the party with my family and my buddy from Michigan's there. And he's like, Lodging, how you doing, brother? Without... A blink of the eye, he turns around, grabs a beer out of the cold ice chest. It's steaming with cold. And he's like, have a beer, man. And I'm like, that looks really good right now. It's extremely cold. I can see the, the steam coming off it. And I said, but I can't drink, man. And he's like, oh, shit, I forgot, man. I feel like an ass. I'm so sorry, man. I said, hey, don't worry about it. I said, I, I, I'm going to go through this a little bit. It's not a big deal. The first hour of that party looked like everybody was having a great time and I kind of missed drinking. That second hour of that party kicked in and I was able to see everybody's transition. Yeah. How they started becoming, I love you, brother, and hanging all over <laughs> each other and talking yeah. about shit that doesn't matter anymore and people hitting on each other's wives. And I was like, I don't miss that part of this at yeah. all. 
And it actually made me kind of got sick to my stomach. I was like, I am so glad I'm not a part of this anymore. So it made me again, more grateful. Um, so I, I enjoy the holidays now being sober because I get much more out of it with my family. Yeah. Yeah. You get to have those conversations that are meaningful. Like you pointed out. I mean, it's not like, there's nothing worse than talking to someone who's intoxicated and you're like, bro, that's a great story. You've told it to me three times now. Like, come on. Like, and yeah, it does. It makes you grateful. And you see it from the outside looking in and it's a whole new perspective. Um, and then I think too, like, you know, when, when we cut, like alcohol is poison. We'll just start with alcohol. I mean, it's all drugs, whatever, but it's all, it's all the same and it's all, it's all poison. And for me, it really robbed my consciousness. It robbed my spirit. And it totally took away the ability to find my authentic self. And it wasn't until that I was able um, to, you know, to stop that I went on this path to kind of find the authentic self. So like, are, are you still, did you experience that, I guess? And then um, for me, it's, it's kind of a ever, it's an evolving thing. I mean, I'm still learning new things about myself every day, both good and bad. Um, but did you, do you find that that to be true? And, you know, that should be, I hope, inspiring to someone else out there who's going like, man, I'm so stuck right now. This, you know, I, I don't know, but there's a light at the end of the tunnel and to bring it full circle, you know, there's hope, which we started the conversation with today. Yeah, to be honest with you, man, um, I never knew I could be this person. I never knew that I could actually care about other people more than myself. And I not, not that I don't care about myself, but I never knew that I could do things for people and not expect something in return and receive a gift bigger than I ever could imagine. Mm. The more people that I help, the more messages I receive back of how what I said maybe in a podcast that helped them through a, a a, a terrible time in their life or had given them hope or courage to get through something. Me hearing that is uh, still unbelievable because nobody wanted to be around me when I was drinking. You know, I, I, I was, I wanted to fight. I wanted to argue. I wanted to do stupid shit, jump off the roof into a pool. Like I, I wanted to be the life of the party per se. Um, but in, when you look back at it, you, you were the ass of the party. Yeah. You know, you were making the ass of yourself. That's not who you really are. I'm still learning who this, this Tim is because so far it's still pretty unbelievable to me that, that I, I have accomplished what I've accomplished in less than two years. Yeah. Um, it's unbelievable to me that people from all over the world shoot in my message box and, and tell me how I, and I inspire them. I've never been told that in my entire life. Um, it is a truly humbling experience to be on this side of, of the addiction and the mental mental illness part because, I mean, this started when I was 18, man. That's, that's three quarters of my life. Yeah. So I've never really known my authentic self. It's like I was always searching and trying to find who I really was through drugs and alcohol. When I've been here the entire time, I just had to learn to love myself to find that person. Yeah, that's good. I never loved myself, man. I, I I didn't want to look in the mirror. Many many a days, I didn't want to look at that person. At I'm 46 now, and I can finally look in that mirror and like what I see back and know what I'm doing is the right thing to do. Um, 
and it feels good, man. It's mm. I'm not making money. I'm not rich and famous. I'm not doing this to get anything back. I'm doing something because it's the right thing to do. And I've never done that in my entire life. Yeah. It's freaking amazing, bro. I love it, dude, man. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Tim, uh, sharing your story, being so open, man. And, uh, uh, I just appreciate all the work you're doing. I know you're reaching a ton of people and, um, man, talk about an authentic dude, man. Like we just kind of <laughs> touched on that a little bit, but I can, I can tell, um, you know, just by the conversation today, the, the, the passion behind it and, um, just your love to be of service, man. So thank you for that. Um, where can folks reach out to you? Where can they find more information, anything you're working on, uh, any, anything you want to uh, help folks connect with, where should they do that? Hey, absolutely. On my main page is on Instagram, um, at T Lodgin, And that's where I post all my podcasts, my, um, any articles that have been written up on my speaking events. I do work with two nonprofit organizations. One of them is a uh, rock star testimony and we bring awareness to mental illness and addiction. Um, and then I work with the overwatch collective, which we bring awareness to first responders and um, veterans for mental health, addiction and suicide prevention. And they're both nonprofits. Um, we actually, when the, the speaking event I did in California, we raised $65,000, be able to put first responders and their spouses, because we put our spouses through some trauma, um, to be able to get them the help that they need. So that's my two biggest projects as of right now, I'm supposed to be speaking in Canada come in May and I have some other things in the works, but I, I kind of hold off until they're confirmed before Yeah, yeah sure. I, I learned not to talk before. Uh, it's confirmed <laughs> because then I look like an, a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I got you, man. No, that's uh, that's good stuff, Tim. So we'll we'll make sure that we put those in uh, the show notes for everyone to find. It's at Tim Lodgen, at the Overwatch Collective, at Rockstar Testimony. Uh, Tim, man, it's been so great to have you on the podcast. Thanks so much for coming on today. I hope someone spoke to you today. Share the podcast with a friend. If you're tired of drinking, check out the 30-day challenge at thatsoberguy.com. You can connect with us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. Once again, follow Tim at Tim Lodgin. Peace, love, and respect. Thanks for tuning in today. Keep your blood clean.